following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, April 5th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. All right, good morning. I wish I was with you in person, church family. I miss you. I miss being able to gather together and open up God's word with one another, seeing your faces, seeing your reactions, encouraging me as we're going through this. But I am exceedingly grateful that we live in a day and a time where God has given men and women wisdom to create technology that still allow us to gather together around his word, even if it's online. As Jonathan Lehman has written in his book, Word-Centered Church, God's word working through God's spirit is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. When he says growing, he doesn't just mean numerically and in breadth. He means in depth, maturing. God's word working through God's spirit is God's chief means at maturing God's church, his people. And that's true whether we're gathered together physically or gathered together digitally. God's word working through his spirit is no less powerful because we're gathering online. Just because we're missing the physical connection, it does not dilute the power of God's declared word. So I'm excited this morning. As much as I miss you, I'm I'm excited this morning for what God may do in your heart right where you are. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 10. And as you find Mark chapter 10, make your way towards the end of that chapter. Get down to verse 46. Uh, Today is indeed Palm Sunday. This is the, the moment in the Easter week when Jesus would have entered into Jerusalem for the last time. Men and women would have celebrated his entrance, laying palm fronds out in front of him as he rode into that city on his way to the cross. And our text this morning actually takes place right before that final entry into Jerusalem. And honestly, as, you, as we read this text together and talk about it, we're, we're going to see that this interaction that Jesus has on his way to that day entering into Jerusalem is one that's very easy to overlook. It's the last little bit before chapter 11. Yet when we consider what actually happens here, we consider the storyline of Mark's gospel, what he is compiling and how he is telling the life and ministry of Jesus, we come to find that though it's easy to skip because we're trying to get to that last week, this story plays a crucial role in what Mark is telling us about Jesus. See, back in chapter 10, verse 32 Jesus is very clear with his disciples what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. He tells them one more time, very plainly, what is going to occur when they get there. And in Mark's gospel, up to this point in chapter 10, Mark's focus has been on Jesus's identity and Jesus's mission. And when chapter 11 begins, right after our text this morning, Mark points our eyes and our attention to that last week of Christ, taking directly to the cross. So building up, it's about Jesus's identity and mission. From this point forward, it's about the cross. But right here in our text this morning, this interaction that Jesus has on his way to that day when he enters into Jerusalem, it's a hinge, it's a pivot point on which Mark's gospel swings. 
So though this story might be easily overlooked, it, it's way more important than we might realize. So if you've got your Bibles and you've made your way to Mark chapter 10, let's just take a look at the scene for a moment. Let's just consider it. Verse 46, it begins like this. And they, talking about Jesus and his disciples, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. And so we're just going to stop right there. We're just going to do what is normal for us as we go through God's word. We're going to try to set the scene and, and see what God has inspired for his writers to give us. We, we have to consider where this is taking place. Mark tells us that they're in Jericho. Now Jericho is the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. It's also famous for being the lowest city in the world in terms of elevation. Jericho itself is about 21 miles northeast, northeast of Jerusalem. And from this point, as one leaves Jericho going to Jerusalem, like Jesus and his disciples are, they would begin to make that climb. If you, if you remember a couple of weeks ago as we read Psalm 121, one of the Psalms of Ascents, this is one of those psalms that would have been sung on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem as God's people would climb in elevation up to Jerusalem. But here's the thing. How can you enter and leave a city at the same time? Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? And they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho. Well, here's the thing. In Jesus' day, there were actually two Jerichos at this point, the old and the new. The Jericho that you might be familiar with from the Old Testament, at this point in Jesus' day, it's mostly ruins. There are some people still there, but it's mostly ruins. Herod the Great had come in, and Herod had extended the Jericho region about a mile north of what was originally Jericho to build an entirely new city that we know of as Jericho in the New Testament. And this Jericho that Herod built was lush, and it was lavish. He built his winter palace there, now, all the city was filled with the latest in Roman architecture. There would have been a theater. There would have been an arena. There would have been Roman baths. Historians tell us that there were plantations of balsam fields all throughout the region of Jericho being fed by springs that would come in from the north. And so as we look at our story and we get to verse 46, we see that Jesus and his disciples came to the edge of what is now the new Jericho to enter in as they had passed through the region of the old Jericho. That's what's happening here. And Mark makes it clear for us as they get to where they are, Jesus wasn't alone. He wasn't just with his disciples either. There were great crowds that were with him. It wasn't unusual for Jesus to travel and, and gather a crowd wherever he went. When Jesus would teach, people would flock to hear him. When they would see and hear about the miracles he was doing, people would want to go where he was going. So wherever Jesus went, usually, not only were his disciples with him, but great crowds wanted to be around him. So as they're making their way to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples and the crowd that would form with Jesus are heading along the way. But it's not just that we know from the point in the story that this is the season of Passover. This is the high and holy feast that God had given his people. This was one of the three feasts that the Israelites would leave their hometown for to head to Jerusalem to celebrate. So not only are Jesus and his disciples and the crowd that would wanna be with Jesus on their way to Jerusalem taking this road, so are many thousands of Israelites who are heading from their hometowns into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That's what's going on. And as they're making this journey, Mark tells us 
that there was a man named Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, sitting by the roadside. Again, we've got to read the story like a human if we're gonna capture what's going on. We hear a few things here in just this verse alone. We, we get the name of this man who's gonna take center stage in the story with Jesus. His name is Bartimaeus. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what are known as the synoptic gospels. And Bartimaeus is the only person healed in the synoptic gospels that we actually get their name. And his name tells us a little something about him. Bartimaeus is a name that's made up of two parts. The first part is Bar, that's Aramaic. It means son of. The second part is Timaeus. That's the son of Timaeus. Now Timaeus is not an Aramaic name. Timaeus is a Greek name. So just in his name, we know something about Bartimaeus. Most likely Bartimaeus was the son of a, of a Gentile and an Israelite. Bartimaeus was a Jew and a Gentile. His ethnicity was mixed. And in that day, that made him an immediate outsider. There was an obstacle to his flourishing in life, in this society, in his day, because of his ethnicity. But it wasn't just that. There was another obstacle that stood in the way of his flourishing. Mark tells us his physical, his physical condition is that he's blind. In the world of his day, in Jesus' day, people saw others who had physical handicaps, who could not see, who could not hear, maybe who were lame in their legs or their hands. They saw them as less than human. They saw them as people who had nothing to offer society. Quite literally, they would marginalize these people. You find him sitting on the side of the road. He's blind. And not only is his physical condition an obstacle to his flourishing along with his ethnicity, so is his economic situation. Mark tells us that Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. Whether or not he was blind from birth or not, we don't know. We know that he was someone who in this day and age lived without the, the net of social services or government assistance. Quite often those who were blind or who were, who were physically handicapped would be dropped off on the side of a road like this by their friends or by their family where they would lay out their cloak, lay out their clothes so people could drop money on, onto it and that is how they lived. They were literally set on the side of the road. So, so standing in the way of Bartimaeus' flourishing in this life was his ethnicity, it was his physical condition, and it was his economic condition. And Matthew, in, in his account of this story, tells us that, that Bartimaeus wasn't alone. There were actually two blind men, one of them being Bartimaeus, another with him sitting there, but both Matthew, Mark, and Luke at this point focus in on one of them, and that's Bartimaeus. So it's Passover season, the crowds that are passing by on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem are enormous. And you've got to imagine it. You've got to try to see it. All the noise, all the busyness, all the people with their kids and their animals, their offerings by the thousands traveling to, up this road through this town, getting ready to make their way to Jerusalem. And Bartimaeus on the side of the road, blind and, and poor and, and begging. And verse 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
I mean, no doubt in the moment, Bartimaeus hears all the noise of the crowd. He hears all the rustling of the people going by, all the children going by, all the animals going by. He knows it's Passover season. He knows that's prime time for him to be on the side of the road to be able to get what he needs to take care of himself. He hears all of the noise, but in all of the noise and in all of the conversation and in everything that's going on, he hears something else. He hears news that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is gonna pass by. And Bartimaeus knows that he's got a moment. He's got an opportunity that he wasn't planning on and he never expected. He hears that Jesus is coming by where he is. Now, now what did Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus know of Jesus? No, we don't really know. We don't know a whole lot about his background. Was Bartimaeus familiar with the story of Jesus' miraculous birth? Had Bartimaeus heard bits and pieces of Jesus' teaching that had begun to spread like wildfire throughout the region? Had Bartimaeus heard of Jesus being the one who walked on water and with a word calmed a storm? Had he heard the news of how Jesus had raised to new life the daughter of a, of a wealthy ruler? We're told so little of Bartimaeus' background, but Right here in this moment, we, we see that Bartimaeus knew something. There was something that he did know. He knew that God had made a promise to his people. A promise that one day would come from the line of David, a king, a Messiah, who would deliver his people and reign forever. This king, this Messiah was the son of David. This would be passed on from generation to generation, taught in tabernacles and synagogues ever since God had made the promise. Bartimaeus knew something. God's word had come to this man. God's word wasn't limited by Bartimaeus' ethnicity. It wasn't limited by his economic standing. It wasn't limited by his physical ability. God's word had come to this man and he knew something. He knew the promises of God. His heart had been shaped by God's word. His soul had been anchored by the promises of God in his word. Bartimaeus knew this much. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the promised son of David. And so imagine him, Bartimaeus, on the roadside, hearing who's going to be passing by. But literally, he can't see when he's going to pass by. He can't see the man. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. There are people passing by constantly because it's Passover season. Big crowds all around. He can't see. So he just does the only thing he can do, which is shout. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And verse 48 tells us when he was doing this, many people who were there began to rebuke him, telling him to be silent. Quite literally, it says right there, they were telling him to shut up. You see, in Jesus' day, again, the poor were a nuisance. They were less than human. In fact, in Roman society, the idea of giving to the poor was anathema because the poor had nothing to give in return. And so as Jesus is passing by, he's in the midst of the crowds, the people who are with him, and quite possibly his disciples, have decided that Jesus shouldn't be bothered by this man. 
You see, if you've, if you've got your Bible, if you just stay in chapter 10, if you just flip back a few verses to chapter 10, verse 13, there's gonna be a story there where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Same journey that we're in right now. Maybe days, maybe just a couple of days before this interaction with Bartimaeus. Jesus is with his disciples and people begin bringing their children to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples jump in. They try to stop it. They wanna spare Jesus from the bother and, and the nuisance and the burden of these children because these children are pretty much like these beggars. In that society, they had nothing to offer. So the disciples decide that Jesus shouldn't be bothered with them. They're gonna be a nuisance to him. And the funny thing is, they actually think they're helping Jesus out. And so Jesus responds to them, chapter 10, verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. Very important. So now, maybe just a matter of days from that moment, here the disciples are again with another person that's seen as insignificant, seen as unworthy of Jesus' attention, and they're trying to keep him away from Jesus most likely in their mind, probably trying to help Jesus out. But Bartimaeus is not concerned at all about what they think about him. Verse 48 goes on, Bartimaeus cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He continues to cry out, not just one time, that's ongoing action, crying out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. He can't see Jesus physically. He doesn't know when he's going to pass by exactly. No one is gonna help him get to Jesus. In fact, they're trying to keep him from Jesus and Jesus is literally passing by. He's on the move. Jesus has set his face to get to Jerusalem because he knows what is going to happen there. So Jesus is moving. People are trying to stop Bartimaeus. He can't see where Jesus is and when he's passing by and all he can do in the face of every obstacle in front of him is cry out for mercy. And he's doing the one thing that Jesus loves more than anything and that's crying out for grace. Lord, have mercy. Bartimaeus did not try to get Jesus' attention to tell him, this is what you owe me. This is what is owed to me because of the lot I was born into in life or here's what I can give to you in return for your mercy to me. No, the faith that has taken root in Bartimaeus' heart that is born out of a confidence in God's word leads him to cry out to the promised son of God for grace, for mercy. Friends, this is a portrait of true faith in action. Right there in the midst of the crowd on the side of the road with everything against him in the world around him, Bartimaeus is pushing his chips all the way across the table and betting his whole life on Jesus. Friends, that's faith. It's really no more complicated than that. 
In fact, through the centuries, as, as God's people have, have thought about and taught this story, something known as the Lord's Prayer has, has come, has grown out of this. It's, it simply goes like this. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's known as the Jesus Prayer. In fact, the Orthodox Church still uses it regularly in its reflections and meditations on God's word. It's a simple reflection of true faith come alive in the heart of a person. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 49. It's unbelievable. Jesus stopped. So again, see it. You, you gotta read it like a human. Imagine it right there in your mind like the story. The crowds going by, the, the commotion, all the hustle, all the bustle, all the noise. This man yelling out over and over again, son of David, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. These people trying to shut him up and, and keep him over where he is. And yet it's the desperate cry for grace. It's the cry of a desperate man for grace that literally stops Jesus in his tracks. The Lord of glory is standing still for a poor, blind beggar on the side of the road. He doesn't stop for all the people who are trying to adore him and hang on every word that he says along the way. He doesn't stop for all the worried concerns that, that had to be going through his disciples' minds as he's been telling them what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. No, what stops him is the desperate cry for grace. This man's cry freezes him. And friends, there are some of you listening this morning who, who would believe that your cries are beneath the notice of Jesus. If you're really honest, you, you may feel more like his disciples and that there are some people who aren't worthy of Jesus acknowledging, whose cries aren't worthy of Jesus' notice, who would be a bother to him. And guess what? You've probably put yourself in that category. I want you to hear me this morning. You are so blessedly wrong about that. Jesus is for sinners who know they need forgiveness. Jesus is for the spiritually blind who know they need to see him. He's for spiritual beggars who know they need mercy. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for me. Anyone can get in on enjoying the grace of Jesus. We simply cry out in our helplessness and desperation, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As we keep reading the story, we'll see that Jesus loves to shatter the expectations of, of the proud and the self-righteous who think they've always got him and everyone else figured out. I mean, keep reading the story. Jesus stops and then he speaks. He says, call him. And so the crowd, they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. I mean, those who had just seen this man as unworthy, 
Those who saw him in his physical condition, those who saw his economic condition, those who saw his ethnicity, those who saw all the obstacles in the way that in their world defined him as unworthy, tried to keep him from Jesus, now, by the command of Jesus, are literally the ones who have to bring him to Jesus. That's a whole other sermon in itself. They have gone from trying to shut this man up to looking at him and saying, take heart and get up. And so verse 50 says, Bartimaeus began to throw off his cloak. That outer garment that he would have worn around him, most likely during the times when he would sit by the road, he'd lay that thing out in front of him so people could put money on it. Then he tosses that thing aside. He leaves that old life. He leaves all that behind because his heart is fixed on Jesus. He threw off his cloak. He sprang up and he came to Jesus. And that is the response of a heart that is fixed on Jesus. And in verse 51, the unexpected begins to happen. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Now, is that what you expected to happen right there? I mean, read it like a human. Isn't it obvious to Jesus what needs to happen right here? Why ask the question? Well, there are a couple of things going on in Jesus asking this question. One, you might remember, it just happened on this journey. It's the very interaction right before this story in chapter 10. Walking along the road on their way to Jerusalem, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they approach him and they say, we'd like for you to do whatever we ask of you. You know the story, you can look back a few verses. They come to Jesus and say, we want you to do whatever we ask. That's an interesting question. So Jesus responds with his own question. What do you want me to do for you? Same question he asked Bartimaeus. Mark records this intentionally for a reason. Do you remember what they wanted from Jesus? They thought in their mind that when they got to Jerusalem, Jesus was going to lead a revolution to overthrow the Roman occupation of Jerusalem. And he was going to establish the long-awaited geopolitical kingdom of Israel where he would serve as king. And they wanted to be on his right and on his left hand. They wanted the prominence. They wanted the glory. They wanted the power that would come from being at the right hand and the left hand of this new king. And Jesus looked at him. And he said in verse 43, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would want to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The very next thing recorded in Mark's gospel is this incident. And Jesus asked the same question of this blind beggar on the side of the road. What do you want me to do for you? And Mark said, the blind man said to him, Rabbi. Actually, the word there is Rabboni. It's only used directly about Jesus one other time in the Gospels, and that's Mary Magdalene when she sees the resurrected Christ on the outside of the tomb on Easter Sunday. It means master. It's a huge statement of surrender. My master, let me recover my sight. Bartimaeus doesn't want prominence. He doesn't want power. He doesn't want glory. He wants mercy. And he wants to see. And he has no doubt that Jesus can heal him. 
This is the very thing the son of David does. The prophecies about the one that was going to come, he was going to be the one, Isaiah said, who gives recovery of sight to the blind. And Mark wants us to pay attention because here Jesus' disciples who have walked with him for three years, been with him for three years, listened to him for three years like no one else, spiritually they're still blind. They can't see. But this blind man, even though he can't physically see Jesus yet, he sees more than his disciples. See, Mark wants us to understand what it really looks like to see Jesus. But there's something else going on in this question. When Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is actually giving back to Bartimaeus his dignity. He's actually seeing him. You might remember, if you, if you were with us last week, we talked about what it meant to really be seen by Jesus and then to see other people. Jesus sees Bartimaeus. He takes him seriously. He treats him with dignity and respect. He doesn't see Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus and then define him by his ethnicity or his economics or his disability. He sees Bartimaeus as one who's been created in the image and likeness of God. As one writer says, Bartimaeus takes center stage here, not his disability, not his station in life. See, here we're reminded and modeled by Jesus that Bartimaeus is first a man to be loved, one to receive compassion, not a problem to be fixed. And if I think about the story, and I'm, I'm really honest when I read it, I, I, I imagine Jesus' disciples were a lot like you and I. We, we tend to have this tendency in our mind and in our heart that we think we have the answer to what everyone needs whenever they have a particular problem or what they need to do. If you're honest, I, I wonder, think about it. I, can you think of a time when you were in need and, and someone stepped in to help you and they stepped in to help you in the way they thought you needed to be helped and when it was all said and done, while they walked away feeling like they had done such a good deed for you, you were left feeling How? Maybe run over, maybe overlooked. They had the answer for what you needed in the midst of your problem and they then did for you what they knew you needed to do or, or they then told you, trying to help you see what you needed to see, but they never actually saw you. Again, if you're really honest with yourself, I wonder how many people feel run over and overlooked in the wake of your efforts to help while you walk away feeling good for having done a good deed. In asking Bartimaeus, what, what do you want me to do? Jesus is seeing him. His compassion for him is being extended as he dignifies the man. In fact, Matthew's account of the story tells us exactly how Jesus felt. It said he felt compassion for him because he saw him. He really saw him and he had compassion for him. And in asking him this question, he dignified him and asking him what he wanted to do. Then he acted. 
Friends, this is the fruit of truly being seen and loved by Jesus. Verse 52 in Mark's account says, Jesus looked at Bartimaeus and he said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Matthew gives us this amazing detail. Jesus stops in his tracks when he hears the cry. He has the people bring Bartimaeus to him, but Bartimaeus isn't gonna wait for him. He jumps up and he gets to Jesus as fast as he can. He gets to Jesus. He still physically can't see him. That still hasn't happened. He still can't see him. He gets to Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, master, I'm surrendering to who you are. Master, let me recover my sight. And Matthew adds this detail in the moment that Jesus actually touched his eyes. When Jesus would touch the eyes of these two blind beggars on the side of the road, Bartimaeus in particular in the middle of the story, Jesus would take upon himself in the physical touch of this man the disregard, the unworthiness, the uncleanness that would accompany Bartimaeus. He would take it upon himself and in return, Jesus would restore back to him his dignity and honor. And in that moment, the eyes of Bartimaeus were opened and he could see. And the first face he saw maybe for the first time in his life, was the face of Jesus, the son of David, seeing him with compassion. See, Mark tells us that it was Bartimaeus' confidence that Jesus is indeed the son of David, the promised Messiah. It was his faith and his confidence in Jesus that has enabled him to see Jesus with his heart before he could ever see him with his eyes. It was his faith in Jesus that's made him spiritually and physically well. And we're meant to read Jesus' words to Bartimaeus in verse 52 against his earlier words in verse 45 when he told his disciples that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, this is why I've come, Bartimaeus, I've come to rescue sinners like you. As you've trusted me with your whole heart, you've received the salvation of your soul. I read the story, friends, and I know that there are some of you, because I know the feeling in my own heart and in my, my own mind sometimes, there are some of you that think you need to become a better version of yourself before Jesus would ever think of receiving you like this. But listen to what he said to Bartimaeus. He didn't have to fix any part of his condition. He didn't have to overcome any of those obstacles on his own that had been put in his way. No, your faith, your confidence in me, your faith is what's made you well. It's that simple. It's the crying out to Jesus for mercy in our spiritual poverty, that's it. And friends, it never really stops. 
As a follower of Jesus, we only become more and more aware of our desperate need for him each and every single day, of our spiritual helplessness apart from him, of our spiritual poverty apart from his grace. So every single day for us as a follower of Jesus is simply another opportunity for our hearts to cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Let me see you. My Savior, let me enjoy your grace today. And I love the way the story begins to draw to a close. In Mark's account, Jesus now sends Bartimaeus out on his way. That's what he says. Now, what would you expect Bartimaeus to do? If this were you and you were sent out on your way and You've been left by the side of the road to, to beg for your subsistence every single day. If all these obstacles were in your way for what might have been the entirety of your life and, and now you can see, what would you do? I mean, the expectation is that he's gonna go back to wherever home was, let everyone who knew him as this blind beggar see that now he has the sight, tell everyone how it actually happened, but what does Bartimaeus actually do? Well, he helps us to see that when our hearts by faith see the truth about Jesus and cry out to him for mercy, our way that we go on means following Jesus on the way. Actually, his way, the way of Jesus, the journey and the path of Jesus becomes our way as we follow him seeking to walk in his steps. Bartimaeus picks up, gets on the road, and begins to follow Jesus. When we met him, he was a blind beggar on the side of the road. But after having been seen by Jesus and the grace of God enabling him to see Jesus, he now becomes a disciple on the road with Jesus. And he takes this last journey with Jesus on the road now from Jericho up the hills into Jerusalem to the cross. Friends, Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for men and women like Bartimaeus, desperate for grace and for eyes to see him so that they can fully enjoy him and follow him on his way. The way that leads to life. Anyone can get in on enjoying the grace of Jesus. It just requires an awareness of our helplessness and a crying out to him for mercy. But here's the thing. This wasn't the end of the story. Our chapters and our verse numbers kind of get in the way. Bartimaeus sees Jesus spiritually. He sees Jesus physically. And he folds into the pack of disciples to follow Jesus on his way to follow in his footsteps, to be with him, to go where he goes and where Jesus goes is still to Jerusalem and still to the cross. And these two eyes of Bartimaeus that were just opened and when they were just opened, the first thing they see is the compassionate face of his savior. These eyes that just began to see in a matter of days, we're gonna witness the horror of the crucifixion. Bartimaeus, as a follower of Jesus, would be in Jerusalem to watch the one who came to die as a ransom for many, who came to die for him. And just as Jesus had taken on Bartimaeus' unworthiness and 
just as he had taken on himself Bartimaeus' uncleanliness when he touched him. Bartimaeus, with open eyes now, would watch the sinless son of David take on the sin of humanity and suffer its judgment on the cross. But Bartimaeus knew something. As he was there, maybe in the crowd witnessing this horrific event, there was something that he knew. Just days before, Bartimaeus got a glimpse of the king's majesty as Jesus enabled him to see spiritually and physically. You know, as you read the story, you realize Jesus would never again walk that road from Jericho to Jerusalem. If Bartimaeus had listened to everyone trying to shut him up, if Bartimaeus had had given in to everyone that was trying to keep him from getting to Jesus, he would have been without God's mercy and God's grace forever. Friends, when you and I read this story, we're meant to understand and see that Bartimaeus' physical blindness is just a picture of our spiritual blindness. And it may well be this morning, friends, that in the preaching of God's word, Jesus is passing you by, exposing your need for mercy. It's a moment, just like Bartimaeus had. Just like Bartimaeus, we only have one hope, that Jesus would be merciful to us. Will you cry out to him? Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm lost, I'm blind, I'm helpless in heart. Friends, don't hesitate. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you want to follow him. Tell him that you want your sins forgiven, your guilt wiped clean. You want to be born again. You want to see Jesus and live in the joy of his grace. Friends, our sinful hearts are allergic to this kind of helplessness. We we love control. We love control especially of our own life. But the faith that saves is the faith that cries out in helplessness. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the cry that stops him in his tracks. That's the cry that Jesus loves to answer. Will you cry out to him this morning? Will you cry out to him this morning for the first time or the first time in a long time? This is the cry that Jesus loves to answer. Let me pray for us this morning. Good and gracious, Heavenly Father, I know nothing else but to cry out for your mercy and grace. Lord, as I see my continued sinfulness, my continued need and dependence on your wisdom, your grace, your mercy, I can see just how deeply I want to be in control. Even now, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I want to see your son more clearly today. 
I want to see your son more clearly tomorrow that I might enjoy a life lived in the oceans of your mercy and of your grace. Lord, for that helplessness to be the source of our cry to you, it takes a miracle of your Holy Spirit in our heart just as it did for Bartimaeus. So this morning I ask that you would do what only you can do by your spirit for Jesus' glory and our deepest and greatest and most enduring joy. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as you go out this week, may the mercy of our good and gracious Heavenly Father satisfy you and strengthen you now and forevermore. I love you. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at redemptionhill.com.